This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name's Andrew. Haha, my Ooh, name's not it's Craig. Cold. I'm a spy, and oh. you're cold. And I'm cold. <laughs> Sorry. Wait, this is... Okay, wait, wait, wait. Two words. Wait, wait. Spy. Seven words. Uh-huh. Rhymes with pie. Second word rhymes with pie. This has become charades. Oh. The, because so. you are a spy and I'm cold. Oh. And we're just trying to act it out. Okay. We're trying to act out the name of the book that we read. Boo. <laughs> okay, I get it. I see what you're doing. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to our book podcast. It's an audio medium for mm-hmm. a visual medium, or unless you're listening, it's an audio medium. Mm-hmm. Oh, but you mean books? Yeah. I guess I don't think of them as a visual medium because we have so many mediums that are more visual but i guess it is still it's at the lower like the lo-fi end of the visual media <laughs> lo-fi words to chill and relax to yeah. yes mm-hmm. um but yeah this is our book podcast where one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it mm-hmm. um as you can't tell andrew read a book that has a cool title this week and we're both so excited to riff on it that we can't organize our thoughts we can't organize our thoughts <laughs> I, I read the spy who came in from the colds by john le carre yes book three in the george smiley series yeah one now do you think here's a twitter poll for you Uh-oh. does <laughs> does george smiley sound more like a name for a muppet or a name for a character in like an uh, 50s Christmas movie who like learns the true meaning of the season and of, of family. Okay. I feel like it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. I do think of my old pal Guy, my old pal Guy Smiley. Guy Smiley. Love yes. that guy. Mm-hmm. I guess this is his brother, George Smiley. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Their mother was a big fan of It's a Wonderful Life. And was like, hey, I like that guy, George, and I have two sons. <laughs> uh, this Good to laugh at your own jokes. This was uh, a selection from our Patreon supporters. If you want to vote on pre- on previous, if you, wanna, you can't vote on previous picks. We have, we have polls every month where you can uh, vote on which of three books uh, we will tackle on the show. And this was our patron's choice poll for december theme was cold it was cold and cold two, stuff two books were like actually about cold stuff and this one's about the cold war well and it's also about like the cold like the metaphor like you're out in the field and oh yeah in the cold you're coming back home to the home office to okay the warm embrace of mother britain <laughs> oh no <laughs> uh and neither of us have read le carre before no i've seen the Tinker's Taylor Soldier Spy movie. I was wondering which, if you had. You you tend gonna, to watch more Oscar flicks than I did, or at least I mean, you did. I, 
I did at the point where this movie came yeah, out, which yeah, was like sure. a hot 11 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to categorize it as recent, but it is not, and I didn't. Okay, so, that's fine. So I've seen that, but that's been my only real exposure to Le Carre, sure. except possibly through uh, people being influenced by his work and like pastiches of it that I didn't recognize as pastiche oh, because yeah. I wasn't familiar with the source material. So mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I'm you? familiar with him mostly from people who have read these books evangelizing for them or like, you know, contrasting them with James Bond or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he's, you know, it doesn't have the... As someone who is not steeped in these books, it does not have the branding of something like Bond. Well, I mean, and and it's probably a little harder to make like this big decade and actor spanning like transmedia franchise <laughs> when your books don't have like characters named Goldfinger who have <laughs> gold fingers <laughs> or whatever it is that he does. Sure. Are you telling me that George Smiley doesn't smile all the time? I mean, he's barely in this one, so yeah. I couldn't tell you. He doesn't smile a lot, but he does seem like a nice boy from the sure. couple of glimpses of him that we do get. Yeah, I did want to like flag that I think like calling this the third George Smiley novel or George Smiley number three is mostly a convention of internet search algorithms and it just happens to be the third book he wrote, and he had written two books that had George Smiley in them. He's still and in the Smiley-verse. It's still in the Smiley-verse, but he didn't conceive of it as the Smiley literary universe. I think if he slew. had been alive and writing today, yeah. that he would have, for sure. I mean, he was he did live from 1931 to t- 2020, so it's possible that he did look at the MCU and go, oh, I missed it. I missed mm, the... I should, oh, I almost did it. I should have done it. Should have been the GSU. <laughs> I'd go to that the school. George Smiley Universe. <laughs> so David John Moore Cornwell, a.k.a. John Le Carre, mm-hmm. uh, was born in 1931. Why'd he pick that snooty French nom de plume? It means the Is square... it because nom de plume is French? <laughs> Uh, it and means he thought that it had to be a French name. <laughs> John the Square, I mm-hmm. think, mm-hmm. Um, or something like that. And, you know, he was a spy when he started writing the book, so he couldn't right. use his real name. Sure. And then by the time he was not a spy anymore, he had already had... Yeah. He had, he had a brand. He did have already, a brand, in he fact. Couldn't ab- he couldn't abandon it. The whole intro of this book is written... Uh, I think it's 50 years after the original publication in 1963, so uh, relatively recently, like more recently, I guess, than that movie that I saw (laughs) by a couple of years. Um, It's mostly just, I don't want to say complaining because it makes it sound more crotchety than it is, but it's a lot of like, at the time these books got huge because everybody thought they were true, even though they're not true and they're so not true that I had them vetted by the like the British spy agency and they let me publish it because it was so far removed from the mm. truth. And like that's one problem that he has with it. And then the other problem that he has with it in the context of spy work is that even though it's not literally true, it rings true enough to people that it 
resonated and that was like worrisome for him too i think yeah i did see some notes on this book in particular and i I don't know if you have any passages that come to mind on this that like his whole project seems to be that like the whole intelligence apparatus the goals etc etc are kind of morally ambiguous at best and bankrupt at worst yeah and that some folks read this book and were like, oh, a tragic hero that I have feelings about, which was maybe not his goal. <laughs> well, and this is all happening. So this is 63. Yeah. Um, it's it's all happening at a time where these like post-World War II institutions, like all the, you know, the, the spy agencies as we know them, the military industrial complex as we know them, like it was all stuff that was still like newish and people were not as like immune to it or like inured yep. to it or, or used to it existing. Well, and imagine that you spun it all up for a great big sequel war mm-hmm. and a lot of people had paychecks from it. And yeah. then you didn't want, you, you just wanted to keep those paychecks. Well, and maybe you, the, even though people weren't shooting at each other, you still had people that you didn't like who you yeah. wanted to know what they were doing. Yeah. And, you've, and, you know, you've got this whole spy infrastructure agency. What am I? You, what am I? I'm just going to throw it out? I'm not going to use it? <laughs> I bought this grill for a reason. I'm going to cook something on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's we'll talk about a lot. Be careful things. about that because you'll burn a source. Ooh, if you know what? On the grill. Mm-hmm. Thank you for clapping into the microphone. Um, so David Cornwell, uh, his father was a criminal, like a oh, like a con man. Um, his mom disappeared when he was like you know five years old. He was later like briefly reacquainted with her, I think. Um, but his dad was on the run a lot. He was acquaintances with two well-known English mobsters, among other things. Yeah, I was and- going to ask, like, is, was he the good kind with a code and uh, and he's just kind of fighting an unjust system in his own way? Or was he well, more of like a personal gains kind I, of <laughs> I can't see into his morals. I can tell you that in a 2017 interview with Terry Gross on Fresh Air, LeCarré talked a lot about how after he got sec- successful with his books, um, he had to repeatedly, uh, you know, fend off his dad who was coming to him for money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't seem like a great relationship. No. A there. real John Lennon's dad situation. Um, yeah, I he think he kind of based the character at the heart of a, a later book, A Perfect Spy, uh, on his dad and... Um, you know, Tara Gross asked a lot of like, well, do you think you became a good spy because your dad was such a good liar? And he's like, I don't know. My dad makes me angry. <laughs> like, he's, <laughs> he's very insightful, but he's also like, come on. Um, so he he leaves England at 16 because his dad had sent him to these boarding schools that he didn't like. Uh, one way you can interpret that is that his dad was like there from a working class background. He's trying to get his son like out of that world and make him quote sure. unquote respectable. It's Britain mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes to Switzerland, starts learning German, and does some spying for British intelligence there. Uh, and then he comes back and goes to school, starts in MI5, and he's like spying on communist sympathizing leftist groups in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he moves into MI6, where he starts doing actual foreign intelligence. He is, you know, tapping phones, running 
spot running games. What you're like running <laughs> agents, I guess. That's what I meant. Sure. Um, yeah. And one thing he's also you've got a, you've got a network or yes. whatever. Uh, he's a handler, maybe, um, and he is also vetting individuals to ensure that they they don't pose any security risk. Uh, and then it's in the early '60s that he starts writing books. He was encouraged by another some English lord who r- l- write, liked crime novels. Some English lord, yeah, who knows? Uh, Lousy with lords over there. They got a whole house full of them. So his first novel, "Call for the Dead," and his second novel, "A Murder of Quality," um, are both now this, now this murder. <laughs> he said, "It's a quality this, murder. This is a quality murder." And um, it's such a and it's such a great price. You can fit so many crimes in this bad boy. Mm-hmm. Um, those are sixty one and sixty two. They are both George Smiley novels. They are murder mysteries first and foremost, set in you know the backdrop of the Cold War. And some of the characters in this book, particularly this guy named Munt, is that a character in this book? Yeah. Um, some guy in East Germany, I think. Right. Yeah. It's spelled like Bunt, like yeah. Bunt cake, but Munt. with M. Yeah. Munt. Um, he yes. is. Uh, he is from those books as well. And they were published under a pseudonym, as we said. Um, then in 64, I think, is when Tinker Taylor is Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Is that right? Um, I don't know. Is it? I don't know. I've got the number. <laughs> I've got the the year 1964 next to some stuff on Tinker Taylor. So I'm just going to go with that. Sure. I'm going to look also. Great. And Tinker uh, Taylor. 74. Huh. So close. Okay. That's off fine. By 10. You uh, got you off by one digit, we'll yeah. say. Okay, great. Um Tinker Taylor is like the first in this thing called the Carla trilogy, which is when Smiley uh is trying to find a mole and all that kind of stuff. There's like, you know, the what's it called? The circus is the name of the, the spy group and mm-hmm. I don't know. You saw the movie. I didn't see the movie, but Well, and a lot of these concepts are also swirling around in this book which as we said is set in the smiley verse <laughs> true it's mm-hmm. true uh and then you know after the fall of the wall and then we're in the 90s and into the aughts like he's still interested in books about corruption and about uh government power but also like you know capitalist corporate power um there was a film made out of a constant gardener another book of his from 2001 and it's about like corruption and conspiracy and like pharmaceutical money and stuff like that Hmm. Uh, and then his last book is published in 2021 after his death um but i know you asked me a little bit about just like some of his politics uh there was a quote he gave at one point um that said something to the effect of like, oh, uh, this was, oh no, this is from George Smiley in the book, The Secret Pilgrim. The right side lost, but the wrong side won as like a, a way to interpret his feelings about the Cold War. Okay. Um, there's another quote of his where he says that the Cold War left the West devoid of ideology, that it was all about anti-communism, but it was not actually anything other than just the power necessary to fight communism as the west defined it yeah and less about expressing a positive vision for whatever yes um yeah that's that's i asked you to look into that because there is a lot of like i don't want to say both sidesism because that is a phrase that has yeah i guess more specific connotations in the way that we usually use it 
Um, but I would, th- there is a lot of, we are not any better than the people who we, we see as our enemies. In yeah. This book. Yeah. There's, um, there's a piece in the Jacobin, uh, by Toby Manning that I found from 2020 called John Le Carre captured the paranoid mood of the cold war. And he kind of goes into like, yeah, he's not a, he wasn't a leftist, um he was actively you know working against the soviets and he was skeptical of other leftist movements and things like that but he really grew to dislike and be disillusioned by the the intelligence apparatus and saw it as just like you know people exercising power for power's sake yeah Uh, his his depiction of spy agencies in in this book is not super flattering, but his depiction of communism is like basically people going to church, even though they don't want to go to church. Oh, interesting. (laughs) And also like from the bottom up sort of uniformly, I don't know, like lying to inflate their own like numbers and their, their support. I think there's a lot, even though this is coming out in 64, like well before, you know, the, the end of the Soviet Union, a lot of um, things that would turn out to be like more or less right about how the Soviet state was structured and, and how, you know, corruption from the bottom up sort of yep. hollowed the system out and, and led to its collapse. So, yep. yeah, it is it is not like he's a big fan of communism either, is what I'm saying. No, I, I, here's the longer quote I, I have from Terry Gross. He says, um, I think back then we had a clear philosophy which we thought we were protecting. It was a notion of the West. It was a notion of individual freedom, of inclusiveness, of tolerance, all that we called anti-communism. That was a really broad brush because there were many decent people who lived in communist territories who weren't as bad as one might suppose. But now, today, this present time in which these matters are being reconsidered, in my novel, we seem to have no direction. We seem to have joined, be joined by nothing very much except fear and bewilderment about what the future holds. We have no co- coherent ideology in the West, and we used to believe in the great American example. I think that's recently been profoundly undermined for us, he says. Um, and like, I don't, know what he, I don't know what he's talking about. I, yeah, what? Huh? I'm not sure. Yeah, no, I just don't know what would have happened since the turn of millennium that would make you <laughs> he didn't, skeptical of American oh, uh, power. And oh, you mean so, he yeah. he didn't have any reason to write an essay in 2003 called "The United States Has Gone Mad," calling no, 2003? the 2003. I don't hmm. calling. I mean, something. I was a junior in high school. I don't. Mm, I yeah. can't think of anything that happened in two. Yeah, nothing. Nothing coming to mind here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He he wasn't. You know critical of brexit so much so that he actually went and tried to secure his irish citizenship based on his heritage (laughs) uh he wrote a novel in 2019 that i imagine i might have like a tough time getting into where it is like making a lot of explicit derogatory statements about putin trump and boris johnson oh boy um yeah there the jacobin article kind of gets into too like he's very much more vocally political i guess is the way to put it whereas you know his novels not that they're not political but they're way more about the intelligence apparatus and and the as you said kind of both sides the lower b lower s i guess (laughs) yeah Um, i mean it, it is a it is a criticism of the of the of the of the agencies and the systems and the ideologies but he's not 
writing like, oh, Harold Wilson, the prime minister yeah. <laughs> in 1964, is a big butthead. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I have some other stuff on, like, comparing his work to, you know, Bond and stuff like that. But we should maybe get into the book and then... Uh, Google's, this Google's so bad. Why? Google's bad. Just because it tells... It, Told me, tells me up top, Harold Wilson's the prime minister in 1964, and then you click through to the source for it, and it says it says nothing of the sort. He was the prime minister in 1974. <laughs> Maybe that's why Google's my just, notes got messed up. Google's just like you; it's off by a decade. Huh? Oh, mm-hmm. I, sh- well, I should. So I don't know who's the prime minister in 1964, but imagine <laughs> that I said that name is still pretty funny. Joke. I should quickly mention this book was published in 1963. There was a 1965 cinematic adaptation with Richard Burton in it. Um, several of the characters and events are reprised in A Legacy of Spies in 2017. Uh, this book has made several all-time crime and mystery novel lists. Uh, it spent like 35 weeks on the U.S. bestseller list. It got the Gold Dagger in 1963. <laughs> Whoa. It's a crime novel award. And then in 2005, in the 50th anniversary of the Dagger Awards, they gave it the Dagger of Daggers. Jeez. What in the Final Fantasy nonsense is this? <laughs> I googled Dagger of Daggers and got like ten D and D like pages. That's I had to what, dig yeah, through. That's what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just so successful that, among other things, like perhaps Philby blowing his cover, uh, he you know had to resign and just focus on writing because this book got too popular. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, let's take a break. And then you can tell me about the spy and the cold and who came in. Okay. You know who shouldn't leave out in the cold here in the, in this modern in these modern days who? times is your brand. Oh yeah, just like John Le Carre needed a brand, I need a good brand that's yeah. warm and not cold. Yeah, you need a good brand so that nobody associates you, the podcaster, with your international best-selling mystery series. Oh, so if you, yeah, if you need to bring your brand in from the cult, I suggest a website from Squarespace. Squarespace is a website that helps you make websites. They give you beautiful drag-and-drop tools, nice templates. They don't ever make you do any coding ever, and they have twenty-four-seven customer support to support you, the customer, whenever <laughs> you need help. <laughs> Uh, here's some other stuff we like about Squarespace. Our website's on Squarespace. It's a good time. Here's some stuff. Uh, you can grow and engage your audience with Squarespace email campaigns. Create powerful email content that matches your website with your existing products, blog posts, and logo so your messaging is consistent and effective. You can support your cause by gathering contributions with PayPal, Apple Pay, Stripe, and Venmo. You can gain powerful insights into who's visiting your site and how they're interacting with your content with in-depth website analytics And if you ever need to go back out into the cold, all the content that you put on the Squarespace platform is yours. You own it. They offer one-click data portability so you can take your stuff and go. So if this sounds good to you, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com slash overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Heat up your brands. Heat it up. Andrew, can I tell you something? Mm-hmm. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Oh, thank you for telling me that. Yeah, I wanted you to know. Like a spy, it's good to have a game plan, Andrew. <laughs> you know, a dossier on what lies ahead. It's good to be prepared. 
But life doesn't always give you one. It's actually very difficult to get one of those. To get a dossier? Yeah, I've and, heard. You know, you can't always predict how things are going to go or how you're going to react to them. When you don't have that manual and things aren't working, it's normal to feel stuck. But one way to get unstuck is to try therapy. I think that therapy is a great tool to talk through life's challenges, maybe do some emotional research, some reconnaissance, uh, (laughs) and to practice productive coping skills to face what life throws at you. It's to spy on your own psyche. With, like, the help of a professional therapist. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know people who have tried and enjoyed better help, uh, whether it's working through a complex relationship issue or navigating sticky situations at work. Uh, and as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and a match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com overdue. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash overdue. Interim cold, you got to bring me in. I mean, I don't know that you would want to be brought in from the cold in the way that this book ultimately Uh (laughs) handles it, but sure. Here's a blanket and a hot chocolate, and let's talk about this book. Oh, man. What do you want to know? Well, I, I, okay. You don't have to tell me right away, but I want to mm-hmm. know what happens. Okay. So, like, just think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Try to remember. Mm-hmm. But I also want to know about the vibes. And uh. I want to know about who's involved. And, like, blah, what's it like to spend time with them? And what other books it reminds you of? Vibes are twist. They're twisty vibes. This, oh. is, a, this is a twisty book. A it pretzel. Is, I haven't. I didn't map how many layers deep all the lies are by the end, but it is that you know you're you're in a spy agency. You're following around this specific spy whose name is Alec Lemus, I believe. Okay. Following around the spy whose name is Alec Lemus. He is a. He was in World War II. He's like fifty. He's a little bit. Uh, he's he's getting along in his career. Is sort of becoming a little cynical. Is, is sort of ready to be brought in. From the cold, as it were, and to stop his spying job. Right now, he's at the beginning. As the book opens, he is sort of in charge of um, spying in like Berlin and and Germany. He's he's in West Berlin, and he's got a network of spies in the East Berlin and in the, you know the the Soviet Union who is, they've been slowly hunted down and killed by this guy Munt, who you mentioned. Okay. Um, and the, the opening scene of the book is his last, like, undercover agent uh, getting killed by Munt. Wow. Like, not, it's not like Munt standing there pulling the trigger, but he's basically, you know, he's he's standing in a safe house with agents, like, watching through binoculars as he tries to get his guy home and it does not work out. Okay. Um, And so, yeah, Lemus is, is very, I don't know what. Guy Smiley is like uh, normally. <laughs> George Smiley is like normally, um, but Lemus is pretty. He's pretty cynical. You, he, he, throughout this book has to sort of pretend at being disillusioned with with spying and with with England and as as a 
and with the entire system, but it doesn't always seem like he's got to act very hard to feel that way. (laughs) Why does he have to pretend? Is it like the people he has to interact with? Well, so it's that's that's where the book starts. Is he comes back to headquarters and he talks to this guy Control. He's the guy who runs the the spy agency, the circus. Uh, and Control is like, "Hey, are you like tired of spying? Because we could we could have you do one last big job to bring oh, down man. Munt. One last job, <laughs> and then after, as soon as you do that one last job, we'll bring you in from the coal, and you'll get to come home, and it'll be fine." Um, so you don't get to witness that entire conversation, but you it's pretty clear because the, the next scene starts like um, uh, Lemus has to establish his cover because what he's got to do is get like recruited and brought in as an asset by the East German spy people like he, he's got to appear to be a defector and get brought in that way. And so like immediately after this conversation happens, you start seeing him like becoming discontented at, at work and, and oh. sort of dropping into alcoholism and not having money and bouncing from job to job and just seeming generally like he's down and out and doesn't have a lot of resources. And it's not made immediately clear to you, the, the reader that, He's trying to establish a cover story. There, there's an element of like you wonder whether you are watching Lemus actually just live out his life as it continues after he comes in from the field and I, has to like sign people's checks instead. I was curious about just when you mentioned the twisty turny levels of the book, like as you're going along, help us understand that element of like what do you what what is the reader supposed to know what is the reader supposed to be guessing at yeah, and I mean, what the, you know yeah. that kind of stuff the re- i mean the reader knows that munt is bad the reader is pretty sure i think that lemus is an un- like undercover and he's going to he's trying he he is not wavering from his goal okay the thing that creates a little bit of confusion about that at least through the first like two thirds three quarters of the book is that lemus is playing a part and he doesn't let his mask slip very often, even to you, the reader. Sure. Sure. Um, and so this, like you spend time in Lemus's head, but you almost, you, you have to wonder when you're getting like the real Lemus and whether, or, or, or whether you're getting like this calculated facade that he's trying to present because it's a little, it's a little of both. Like you, you do, there is a uh, like a young woman at one of the jobs that he is bouncing his way through who he uh, gets close with like half his age. Too. I, I felt a little weird about it, even though the book clearly wants me to want them to be together. Oh, no. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like so he seems genuinely uh, taken with her. He's like a divorced guy. He has kids, but he's not really in his his former family's life. Like it seems like being a being a spy doing this work has sort of torn apart his personal life in a way that is pretty familiar to anybody who consumes this kind of content. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like James Bond has two and a half kids at home, like waiting for him to come back from (laughs) shooting guys. You know, would I derail you too much to just get my bond quotes out of the way now? Yeah, no, you should do it now. Okay. Just Um, give me a break. 
because from in the 1960s there was a bbc interview with le carré talking about bond and this all surf like resurfaced sometime in the last 20 years when they were like re-airing it and he said i dislike bond i'm not sure that bond is a spy i think it's a great mistake if one's talking about espionage literature to include bond in this category at all it seems to me some kind of international gangster with as it is said a license to kill (laughs) he's a man entirely out of the political context it's of no interest to bond who for instance is president of the united states or the union of soviet republics and then he's speaking to radio times in the 2000s i think as they were reappraising this interview and he said these days i would be much kinder at the root of bond there was something neo-fascistic and totally materialist (laughs) you felt he would have gone through the same antics for any country really if the girls had been so pretty and the martinis so dry Mm-hmm. And he didn't like He's the not gadgets. Wrong. No, and it, it is. It did like I really had not considered in that moment. We call Bond a spy, but like. A lot of times he's just walking into places going, my name is James Bond. Yeah, my name is James Bond. I have a gun and I'm here to get drunk and kill guys. Yeah. I don't like, we have we have a lot of friends with a deep and abiding affection oh, yeah, for James Bond. And I don't like, I don't, dis, I, I enjoy the Bond films I've seen. Like it depends, the level I enjoy it on depends on the movie that I'm watching. Yeah, like I yeah. can enjoy like the Roger Moore stuff on a super campy level. And the um, the good the Craig Pier- ones the, the, are the, fun. The good Craig ones are are, are pretty interesting. Uh, I, the Pierce Brosnan ones are oh fun as like movies of that weird '90s action era where like just before CGI sort of took over yes. every practical effect. All those movies kind of look they're lit great, mm-hmm. but they're some of their practical effects are really busted. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a very different vibe from what Le Carre is up to. But yeah, but, but like as a character, as a social commentary, like I don't <laughs> think I think Bond is pretty shallow, is what I'm saying. Like I I enjoy it on the level that I enjoy it on, but I completely agree with Le Carre that if you are looking for somebody trying to say something or like a point of view, that maybe James Bond is is not the one where you, you want. Go. Like the only, the only thing you could get from James Bond is a view to a kill. Yeah. Uh-huh. Which I don't know what that means, but it is the <laughs> name of a James Bond movie. So you're talking about, um, Lemus mm-hmm. and the, the woman and him kind of living out this, what Elizabeth if, Liz is Liz, the woman's name. Me. Yes. Um, and so a young, a young communist. Oh, in and, Britain. And is, is like, she, the, one of the vectors through which he is kind of allowing himself to be recruited. Uh, no, she is a, just a woman who he likes. And oh. then she comes back around later back into the spy part of the novel. It's, it gets very complicated, but you, people are getting like, I didn't, track how many levels of of crossed you get but people are getting like (laughs) at least triple and quadruple cross yeah because no lemus nobody knows what the actual truth is until at the very end and then at the and then everybody dies okay okay and that's that's the end of the book oh nothing get all spoilery but uh 
there's a point like two thirds of the way through where Lemus just like casually smokes a cigarette and the book tells you out of nowhere that it will be his last. Oh, and I'm like, you know what? He's a 50 year old man in 1963. I don't think he's just going to up and quit smoking. I think I know why it's his last cigarette. (laughs) He's not going to come in from the cold, pour himself a nice bowl of Campbell's soup. Mm-hmm. And, and get a nicotine patch. And get and a, just, <laughs> mm-hmm. Take up vaping. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how does he wind up getting recruited? Does he get recruited? He d- Yeah, he does get recruited. So he, he, uh, bounces you know he does he does this sort of descent into alcoholism thing he he, the timeline is it's it's months rather than years like it is Mm, okay you 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 know you you can sense him and whoever planned this operation trying to make it seem plausible without also making it take forever yeah (laughs) because they really want they want to take out this monk guy and so he uh, at a date of his choosing decides to punch a grocer who won't lend him money and that gets him a gets him a short stint in prison and when he's out there's this guy who's just like following him around and he gets you know this guy pretends like he knows lemus and is like oh hey yeah we were pals back in the day and i owe you money and come like get a bunch of lunch with me and i'm gonna pay for a super expensive lunch for you like don't worry about it um, trying to, and, and Lemus is commenting on some of these methods in, in his head as this guy like works them on him where he's like, yeah, this guy's like, he's not the most graceful recruiter I've, I have ever met, but he, the tricks he's doing are, you know, pretty textbook. Huh? Uh, so he, you know, he takes the bait on purpose and then like gets run up to like the next guy up the chain. And at that point he's like, I'm a spy. I know what you're doing. I never met you. I know you are saying, I owe you, you owe me money that you don't owe. And I just want to know what's going on. Like he's playing the part of the ex spy who knows he's being played uh. and just at this point wants like details. So they say, you know, we're going to give you a lot of money in exchange for information basically. Um, and they take him over into East Germany and it's run up another rung or two on the ladder to this guy named Fiedler, who is a uh, Jewish operative on the East German side. Um, and he also doesn't like Munt. Okay. Even though he, he and Munt are ostensibly allies, but he doesn't trust Munt. He wants to take Munt down and Lemus is there dropping, you know, subtle and not so subtle hints about i don't know maybe munt is a is a british agent and like it's it's a combination of um lemus just like straight up telling him his the story of his like life and his tenure in the spy service like there's this whole thing where he was a spy and then he left for a year and then came back but because his he had like broken service that messed with his pension so he's getting he's not those first years are not counting, which is a fun thing to do if you ever leave a job and come back to That's... one. Not speaking from any particular. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Experience. <laughs> um, Politics, yeah, Paul. Hey, um, what were we talking about? Well, you're talking about the him. I know I was on a roll. Well, you going. were on a roll. Like you're, he's giving his reasons why. 
Yeah. He's defecting. Well, because, um, yeah, so he's he's telling um, Fiedler, you know, basically what his whole deal has been. And then also occasionally, because, because Fiedler talks about there being like two stages to, to dealing with a defector. Like first you get all the stuff that you know you need from them. And, you know, like the big stuff that they think about. And then there's this whole little, uh, this passage that I like. This is Fiedler. He says, um, now let me be frank. And he says that even though his name is Fiedler. So I don't know what that's about. Spies. (laughs) There are, as you know, two stages in the interrogation of a defector. The first stage in your case is nearly complete. You've told us all we can reasonably record. You have not told us whether your service favors pins or paperclips because we haven't asked you and because you did not consider the answer worth volunteering. There is a process on both sides of unconscious selection. Now, it is always possible, and this is the worrying thing, Lemus, it is always entirely possible that in a month or two we shall unexpectedly and quite desperately need to know about the pins and paper clips. That is normally accounted for in the second stage. Huh. So it is, you know, he is, he's been, Lemus has already been, I don't think that he thought that getting pulled, like, into enemy territory where nobody can come and sort of swoop in and rescue him, I don't think that was part of the bargain that he was... Oh, uh, okay. Really, really aware of. And so this is him. You know, he, he has been told a couple times, you know, you've just got to keep coming with us. Basically the whole, like, we are altering the deal. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And so this is, this is Fiedler saying, yeah, we're going to, we, we know you told us everything, you know, we're going to keep you around for a little bit, buddy. Um, And in this, in this section where he's just like walking around with Fiedler and kind of deciding that he kind of like likes him and respects him on like a personal level and on like a spy level, even though he's also sort of kind of playing with them. He drops enough breadcrumbs to hint that Munt is this British agent and that he needs to be taken Dealt out. with. Okay. Yeah. Even though that's not true, we th- are sh- pretty sure. That we don't think we don't think it's true at the okay. time. Okay. We think cool. it's just everybody setting up everybody. I dig it. So there's a there there ends up being this tribunal thing where the the spies are it's it's Munt versus Fiedler basically Fiedler laying out all the evidence that he's collected over the course of many months and Munt defending himself and he Munt brings in uh, Liz who he is like enticed into. East Germany with these promises of, uh, of, you know, moving on up in the, in the party, in the communist organization. And he, because Lemus, like his, his whole thing with Liz was not really part of the script. Mm. He let his mask slip to her in ways that sort of blow apart his entire story. Uh Oh, um, so like Liz, like she was, she was visited by this, this guy, uh, uh, the guy who visits her is George Smiley, ah. but he is, she is, she has tales of like being taken care of by Lemus's friends, even though Lemus in trying to, uh, like testify to this tri- tribunal, like trying to, uh, verify to them that he is genuinely a flipped agent and that his, his information is valuable. It's like, I didn't have anything. I didn't have any money. I didn't have any friends. And then Munt brings in Liz. Who's like, yeah, uh, he had a lot of friends who gave me a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. Whoops. Um, Is it, is it portrayed as like odd 
dang, I I biffed it. Or it, like it's per, it's portrayed as that, but wouldn't it be oh. wouldn't it be wild if it was part of the plan the whole time? Oh mm. snap! Here it goes. And so and Lemus is thinking, boy, that is just clumsy, clumsy spy work on the part of Smiley and all these people. That seems unlikely. is like immediately going to like the last three people I interacted with in the entire world and giving them a bunch of money. It's almost as if they wanted to be noticed in some way. Huh? And so the deal, here's the deal. Get ready to have your mind blown by what the deal is. The deal is Munt actually is a British spy. What? What? (laughs) And control and the circus, they don't want him burned because he's like pretty high up in the organization. He's, he's like doing a lot of stuff for them. But this guy Fiedler is on to him and it has it out for him and is is preparing to like expose him. And so what they need is for somebody to go in with a story about how Munt is a British agent that then falls apart oh my like loudly God. and publicly under close scrutiny to like number one, like have Fiedler executed. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that I didn't even, haven't even gotten into about how Munt is like a former Nazi, like probably. And Fiedler is, Fiedler's a Jewish guy. And there's this, this passage where, where Munt is, is sort of tormenting Fiedler and, and, Say, telling him that he's doing it because he's Jewish and not for any other reason. So like this, it, it is there, there's, there's a lot of like Fiedler's a good guy, but he is inconvenient for the circus in this specific context. And yes. so we have to protect the crappy guy and get the decent guy killed. This reminds me of the, the, the bad guy in the dragon tattoo books. Uh huh. The the spoiler alert: Elizabeth's dad, the mm-hmm. guy who's like so he's like a Russian defector or something, and mm-hmm. and because of all of his whatever crap he claimed to know, they they let him be an awful person for decades yeah, right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and protected. Yeah, okay, that makes sense to me. Um, but it also sounds like the the extra little thing wrinkle here. Is that wow? They set up Lemus bad, huh? Yeah, they did. They definitely set up Lemus bad, and he like technically has a chance to get out, but it it doesn't end up working out. Yeah, he, uh, poor Lemus. Yeah. yeah, poor Lemus. It's yeah, it's it's too bad because he's. Yeah, what do you what are your thoughts on on Lemus? Do you like spending time with him? It's just it's it's like I said, it's hard to get a read on his like personality and his point of view because he spends so much time acting so much time yeah. like presenting a point of view that conforms with what it is that he is like the end that he's trying to reach <sighs> yeah yeah. But yeah he just seems like a you know he seems like a, a type who is four days away from retirement and then he gets pulled back in for one last big job and then he gets gunned down on top of the berlin wall like it's just <laughs> it's rough for him oh, that type oh yeah that type. you know that old that old stock character when the I berlin wall was from, pretty yeah i think was pretty think fresh at this point right <laughs> yeah, yeah freshly finished yeah yeah mm-hmm. Huh. Freshly, freshly finished and finished and increasingly fortified. Like Lemus, oh yeah, thinks to himself about how much more fortified it is looking on the eastern side when sure. he crosses over into it. Um, 
But I mean, you, you feel bad for him because you feel like he gets a raw deal. And then this whole, like the whole thing, the book, the book's whole thing mm, is the whole summed thing. up in a, the whole thing is summed up in a couple of interactions. Um, there's this, yeah. there's a talk between him and control early on where they're setting up, like you got to do this one last big job for us. Um, where control is just kind of ruminating and, and saying, um, I would say that since the war, our methods, ours and those of the opposition have become much the same. I mean, you can't be less ruthless than the opposition simply because your government's policy is benevolent. Can you now? That would never do, he said. Uh, mm. And then um, as the book sort of gets winds down and starts wrapping up, it's like Lemus and, and Liz trying to escape together. This ill-starred like Ill escape yeah. that's been set up for them by Munt. Um, they're having this conversation where Liz is is saying, like, how can you how can you work for these people? How are you any different from them? Like, you got a good guy killed, basically, mm. to, like, protect this guy. And uh, Lemus is, is talking to her about how it's actually, you know, it's, it's very communist in a way, like, sacrificing the few for the needs of the, of, of the many. Oh, um, uh, we happen to fit the mold. Lemus persisted. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the others too. the others who fit the mold, but don't complain about the terms, Liz, there are party terms, a small price for a big return. One sacrificed for many. It's not pretty. I know choosing who it'll be turning the plan into people so sort of, sort of taking a, yeah, a troll. It's, it's sort of a, trolley problem thing a little bit a little bit a little utilitarian it's like yeah obviously killing like one person is is better like mathematically than killing five people but what if the one person is like your aunt or something yeah (laughs) exactly yeah Yeah. or your dad or whoever Yeah. yeah just just like how much more complicated these these ends justifies the means uh-huh. type things are when you drill down to the level of individual people who you know things about, you know? Yeah, there were some, there were there was at least one quote in that, I think the, I think it was the Terry Gross interview where he talked about, like, his experience as a spy and the his limited experience, I think, being explicitly undercover um, and infiltrating groups as, like, the difference between... Sounds you, like he wasn't even good at being staying undercover no, as a person well, who had the job of spy because <laughs> well, he became an international best-selling <laughs> author. But I think the meta- the the like the metaphors he used was like you drop a bomb on someone you never have to even know who they were. Yeah, mm-hmm. you want to kill someone with a knife, you have to like get close enough to you know know where they're going and what they're doing and like look at them and see them. And he he was contrasting. Th- those different type, like what that does to people, and I, th- yeah, he seems to have been particularly shook by the like individual costs of this type of stuff of this whole system. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you just as we're kind of wrapping up here? Mm-hmm. What do you think about this book in relation to? I have two other pieces of media to ask you about here. Not not about old Jimmy Bond. No, I'm kind of du- I'm not I'm done with him. Um, uh, first, remember earlier this year we read Our Man in Havana. 
Yes. Which had a similar, you know, written in the middle of the Cold War, uh, even the dawn of the Cold War, and was like a little bit more absurdist. Like what it was, it was more like it is saying some things about the surveillance state and about spies and about the way that like lies stack on top of, of lies, but it was doing it in a more, in a more like satirical farcical sort of way. Okay. That feels, feels much different tonally from this. Okay. Okay. That, that seems to be why maybe some people read this book and were just like, Hey, I like that spy guy. And yeah, like that reading, this book is rarely funny, which is not to say that it's, bad or that it doesn't yeah. occasionally have a, a sense of humor some and then some, as a modern reader some of the fun comes from reading lines like this kind of thing went out with bustles yeah <laughs> to say that something is out of out of style yes out of fashion that's great okay like us saying that this this kind of thing went out with jinko jeans <laughs> i haven't tasted something like this since surge mm-hmm Man, I remember when Surge was still regional. Oh, really? Kid came back from vacation. Kid came back from vacation. Talk about Surge. I was like, "What is that drink? I would like all that caffeine, please." Mm -hmm. I don't know why they didn't. Why they stopped making Surge? Did it come back briefly? I maybe this is this is bad podcast. (laughs) What else? Uh, And then the other thing I wanted to ask about was uh, the Americans. Andrew and Craig speculate about Surge (laughs) without any research or foreknowledge. Well, you established earlier in this podcast that Google is unreliable, so I will not allow you to to Google about Surge. Um, uh, Like your enjoyment, your experience with this book uh, compared to the hit FX TV series, The Americans, which I know we both really like. That's a good show. Um, Yeah, like, what either... Does it share any qualities? Is it operating, doing something different that you can articulate? Or I think it... I mean, it it shares qualities insofar as as it is focused on the individuals involved in large... in large systems. Like, when you... Again, a system where when you don't know anybody involved it's sort of an abstract thing and it's easy to come down on one side of the uh, or or the other of any given issue but Mm -hmm. then you like meet the people and like one of the spies and one of the fbi agents are like the cutest bro boys yeah the the cutest friends playing racquetball together television Mm -hmm. and it i i think the americans is more like one it you know, by necessity had to stretch out over like yeah, what, six, sure. seven seasons of television. So there, there are like just storytelling things that it does. Yeah. Yeah. That, the, that this one self-contained book isn't doing, but I, th- it is also more interested in it's like the, the very, like a very close individual read on each of its characters and how they feel about like, sure. Being spies and their, like the act of spying so much of this, of this book is like told to you. It's like people talking about being spies. That was the other thing I was, I was a little wondering about was like, this doesn't sound like it's an action thriller. It kind of sounds no, like it's, it's a little bit of a legal thriller. A about little bit a of a legal agent. thriller because yeah, like so many of the big like set pieces such as they are, are just like people sitting in a room talking to each other, Yeah, which is not to say that it's boring, but it is not, it is. It is not James Bond. It is. Nor it is, is not, it the Americans. Yeah. No. Okay. Cool, it's cool, not cool. the Americans. Like it is. It's. 
you you don't see Lemus really doing the spy work that that led up to this scenario that he's yeah. gotten himself into. Like he he does it in a big lore dump in the middle of the <laughs> book where he's talking like he's being debriefed by one of his new East German handlers, and it's it's told to you that way. Like which, it, yeah, yeah, which is active because he's trying to get over with them but yes it is well, still and, him and what you and what you the reader are being yeah. entertained by as that is happening is like what's what's true what isn't what's yep. his angle like what how are these people playing off each other like it, it's still entertaining to to read but it is interested in different it's interested in that in weirdly for a book that is trying to be about like people and like individuals Mm. at the heart of these like spy operations it is still overall i think more interested in like the machinations and the and the twistiness yeah. and like just zooming out a little bit more to the like focusing on the at the system level rather than the individual level yeah well it's it sounds like maybe that also that's if that's on purpose that is revealing something about what what those people are and aren't in a system that is full of those machinations. If if the machinations are the are both the priority in this book and the priority in this system, then maybe people can't be full people in spy <laughs> okay. world. Sure. That's that's my take. You've blown you've blown my mind. I don't know how to respond. And to that. and your cover. Oh no. Oh no. Well I'm thanks for telling me about this book. Yeah, it was it was fun. I'm glad to have read Le Carre. I think if we choose to revisit it, it should like you should read T.K. Yeah. Taylor or some other book Ooh, of his, like yeah. something that's more. I want to know more about George Smiley because this is George Smiley book number three. But <laughs> I guess that number is like a reference to the number of times he appears yes. in the book at all because I, it's like three times. I, I do think it is mostly there for like indexing as opposed to calling this a George Smiley. Mm-hmm. book it has continuity the way that like kurt vonnegut books have yeah. continuity he's like oh i'll just throw in this one guy and people can do their own well it like, sounds like it sounds like munt corkboard thing yeah it sounds like it's more important that munt has been in previous books than than smiley <sighs> yeah i don't know what i don't know what munt's deal is in the earlier books or in the later books but he may have he uh in a previous book he is deemed responsible for a murder of a diplomat Okay, and so he seems like he's after sucks. him. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, uh, cool. Th- this book seems to either toss that on its head or say, "Nope, that doesn't matter. We need to keep that guy." <laughs> I don't. Well, know. I think just like the 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 stuff we get from this guy is valuable enough to justify the amount of trouble that he causes, essentially. Yeah. Because there is a there's a big talk during one of the many debrief scenes about just the quality of the intelligence being bad. Often, which is which is something yeah. that sort of shares with our man in Havana. It's just like yep, yeah. There become incentives for intelligence, regardless of quality, just because people are there to gather it. Yeah, just t- talking about the this is this is Lemus. I think using the the truth to give you know to to give some weight to the lies that he's going to tell later, telling him about 
uh, telling them about his early days managing the Berlin uh, spy network. Uh, it had taken a long time to build a decent East Zone network from Berlin, Lemus explained. In the earlier days, the city had been thronging with second-rate agents. Intelligence was Intelligence was discredited and so much a part of daily life of Berlin that you could recruit a man at a cocktail party, brief him over dinner, and he would be blown by breakfast. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> same. <laughs> and t- we can cut that. <laughs> um, but just it is it is valuable to have agents who actually have good information. Yeah, in this context, because. A lot of it is not good. A lot of it is bad information. It's just a lot of information. It's bad data. Mm-hmm. It's like Googling. That's what we learned today. It's like Googling and trying to find the human written useful answer to your question and not the thing that a bot wrote to trick you into clicking on. Oh, man, I saw some tweet the other day <laughs> where, where somebody was saying that Google may have figured out that putting Reddit at the end of a Google search helps it and maybe is messing that up. Um, so yeah. Great, because that is the only way that I get good search yep. data. There's from a whole 99 anymore. PI about it. It's Ugh. a great episode. Well, just this whole, all this like AI image stuff is bringing this up again. But yep. in the early days of the internet, it was it was people curated. Like it's it was people making lists of cool stuff that they found on the internet, and then Google decided to make all of those disparate sources of good information easier to yeah. search through. And in observing, in 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 trying to observe or measure or like find the stuff <laughs> you're trying to find, you break the the foundation of your like good information in the first place. So it's like, just fun. This is fun. It's a cool time. This is also good podcasting. Yeah. I mean, it's a good thing to be talking about on another podcast. I guess people here need to podcast. know about this stuff. Yeah, this is way at the end too. So I mean, who cares what we do? Yeah, we're just yo. Who's we can do anything back like, here? You already, if you're back here, you already got through the ad block. So, like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome. We're, you, thanks for coming in from the cold. You can send us an email at overdupod at gmail.com. Find us on social media at overdupod. Thanks to Megan Emily Box. Box? Box? I meant Bex. Uh, wow. Me- I thought start- it was, it was <laughs> Johann Sebastian and his it's- dad or whoever. <laughs> Thanks to Megan, Emily, The Box, and Bex, uh, MK, Robert, Kelly, and Allison, and many more for reaching out in the past week. Uh, our theme song is by Nick Larandris. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com is our internet website. Up there we have links to the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. If you click those, most of the time you'll get taken to a bookshop.org page. You can use that to buy the book. Uh, you get a book. Your local independent bookseller gets a cut. And we get a little bit of a referral fee, so everybody's happy. Um, We have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash overduepod. Use that to support the show more directly. Sit in on bonus streams. Be in our Discord server where one of of our listeners has just been running this this long-running sort of trivia game where we all have to guess whether I said a thing from an old episode of Overdue or Craig said it. We are both regularly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty it's fun. It's pretty good. Emergent um, gameplay in our Discord. Come on yes. in. Uh, next week, we are both going to be reading Elves with Benefits, uh-huh. book number four in the Reindeer Falls series by Jenna Aston. Maybe Guy uh, Smiley will show up. Who knows? Maybe Guy Smiley will show up. This is part of our Happy Horny Days celebration every year around the holidays. We just get, we just get a little randy. 
we invited a third person onto our podcast, and his name is Randy. And uh, he is a spy who will be blown by breakfast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> we're, we're done, right? Yeah, we're done. Okay. Thank you for listening to our podcast. And until we bring you in from the cold next week, please try to be happy. you want to cut the first blown by breakfast you can cut the second blown by breakfast but i sort of blackmailed you into keeping it <laughs> <laughs>